Is that okay? You're a fantastic interviewer. Wow, you just make it easy. Yeah, and that's that's a great skill for an interviewer. Welcome to the Sondership Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Atias. The Sonship Podcast is all about hearing inspiring stories from people with purpose. And today's person with purpose is Bob Berg, who I'm absolutely delighted to have on this show. Bob is an author, public speaker, and podcaster who shares how a subtle shift in focus is not only a more uplifting and fulfilling way of conducting business, but the most financially profitable way as well. Known for his best-selling business parable, The Go-Giver, which he co-authored with John David Mann and has sold over a million copies. It has been translated into 30 languages and rated as one of the most motivational books ever written. Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He's also an unapologetic animal fanatic and served on the board of directors of Furry Friends Adoption Clinic and Ranch in his hometown of Jupiter, Florida. That's a that's a great place to live, Jupiter. <laughs> Bob, welcome to the Sunship Podcast. Thank you, Danny. And absolutely, it causes many, it gives people an easy end to the joke that I seem from out of space. So uh, absolutely work, works out very well for everyone else, if not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bob. So Bob, hopefully our listeners now know, and, and you'll be aware that this podcast is based on the concept of Sonder. Sonder, it's that realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own. It's that moment when you realize that your story is just one of billions and that everyone has their own story. I always like to open these episodes with the question of what's your earliest or most memorable Sonder moment, Bob? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I, I don't know that there was one time where it, it suddenly came to me. I, I think one thing I've always had, Danny, is a strong sense of empathy for others. And knowing that everyone had their own problems, challenges, hangups, their own thoughts behind the facade, right? That we all seem to, <laughs> you know, to, to put on whether, you know, whether in uh, high school or, you know, whatever, whatever. And, and I, I kind of knew that people were all going through their, their own struggles. So when it, at some point you hear the, the famous Shakespeare line about us all being, you know, actors on a stage, all playing supporting roles and so forth. So I, I'd say that's how I see it. I think the concept uh, of Sonder is just wonderful because it calls us to say, hey, you know, I'm not the only one, you know, I'm, I'm a supporting character. It's, you know, sort of like a soap opera, right? Where <laughs> I don't know if you could, you call them soap operas there. Yep, where, yep. Yeah. Where, you know, you see the stars, but then you see the bit characters. But then they'll all of a sudden the bit character becomes a well-known character, you know, a, a, yeah. an ongoing character and somebody else is a bit player in their soap opera, you know, so it, it all uh, sort of follows through in that regard. Thank you, Bob. I, I love the way you bring that together. And it's really down to that core of empathy uh, yeah. and thinking about how you treat people. I, I was alerted to your presence through your book, uh, The Go-Giver. Oh, uh, I was you. speaking to a, a friend of mine, Graham Godfrey, who runs his own oh. podcast, Passionate mm -hmm. About People. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, we had a conversation and he said to me, Danny, you need to go and read The Go-Giver. That's it. He just sent me my homework. (laughs) Oh, how nice. Thank you. I went out there and got a copy and kind of swallowed it whole in in one sitting pretty much. And I went back to Graham and said, I've read the book. It was brilliant. It was, it was brilliant. And he said to me, which character are you? I'm like, oh, okay, (laughs) hold on. I didn't realize there was homework in this. What what?" (laughs) And it, it kind of really got me thinking and it gave me a very different perspective on the book as well. And I I went up to him and I I said, I think I might be a little bit Gus. And uh, he said to me, you're completely Gus. You're absolutely (laughs) Gus. You know everything about you. (laughs) Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Gus's Gus's mine is as well. Uh, That's, that's the person I I related to most. And, you know, it's interesting because John David Mann, who co-authored the book and was really Mm -hmm. the lead writer, you know, in, in storyteller, and he's a master story. In fact, he just came out with a, a novel, a mystery uh, novel called Steel Fear that he wrote with another one of his co-authoring partners, Brandon Webb, who's a former Navy SEAL. And they've done many books on leadership and, and so forth. But now they, they took that into a novel. But John is someone who his, his way of being able to, to dig into a character's heart you know, is really so impressive. And you look at, at, at where, you know, what, what some of the things he did in his life, it's at 17 years old, he was not happy with his high school. And so he and a few friends actually founded their own private school. Oh yeah. And, you know, and they, they went out, they found a teacher, you know, they had the backing of their parents to be able to, to do that, to leave school and actually start their own, but they, they did it as kids. And John was the driving force. And you think, what a story there. And you see one kid who had the foresight to say, you know what, the uh, educational system isn't doing it for me. What, what can we do about this? How do we, and that to me is a great story. Yeah. And then, you know, bringing the other people into it, then you bring the people in who actually came in and taught and how many different lives were touched. Yeah. And now you've got a whole, you know, so it, it's really when you, you know, once you go down the rabbit hole of, of Sonder, all of a sudden you say, wow, it's amazing how everyone adds a little something to the story and how one decision someone makes, you know, affects so many of the the other players. Absolutely. And I, and I think uh, for me, this is what these conversations are all about. It's about not just sharing stories and, and touching other people in that way, but inspiring and motivating them to go on and, and do the same for others, to go and think about what their angle is, what's important to them and have an impact on other people's lives. Mm, and mm, through mm. your work, uh, you're a a prolific guest on podcasts, as well as having your own podcast, Bob. I kind of see you popping up every day, almost on a, on a new session. So I'm really grateful. For yeah, you that's giving... scary to think of. I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry you have to go through that. <laughs> well, I'm grateful for you giving the time uh, to Thank me you. today to be on this episode. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing. You know, what created Bob Berg to be a guy that's about giving, that's about making a difference in other people's lives and and being a positive force? Well, you know, very fortunate to be born to wonderful parents, wonderful people who just, it's sort of who they were and it's what they did. They always looked for ways to, to bring value, bring joy to others. And I think raised me in that way to, you know, to be a person, as we say in the book, right? So that, you know, that was a good, good start there. I did in all my life have 
have suffered from an affliction called OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder, and it, which is different from what most people think it is when you hear people joking, oh, I'm so OCD about, and that has absolutely nothing, nothing to do with, with this. And so that was something, and I think that's basically where my sense of empathy stems from, because you feel so much and there's so much emotional pain with that, that I think that, and I'm not saying there's anything good about OCD because mm-hmm. there's not, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but I think if there's one thing it gave me that helped me help others is that it gave me that sense of empathy of being able to sense and really feel another person's pain. So I think that's kind of what also helped make Bob Berg, whatever he Mm -hmm. became. Those were the two big parts of my life that were the the biggest, I'd say, direction givers. You know, one was having great parents and the other was suffering from a really yucky kind of affliction. Thank you for sharing that. One of the things we talk a lot about here is about privilege and having a great upbringing, great parents is giving you confidence, giving you support, giving you a sense of what good can feel like. Yeah. And knowing that your parents love each other and like each other. And Mm. that was, I I always felt very privileged in that regard that I never had to worry about those. I took for granted many of the things that my friends couldn't Yeah, just because knowing I had that very uh, stable family life. And so leaving high school, what came next for you? What was your journey to authordom, if that's a word? <laughs> <laughs> I, I took a few years off after high school. I was a horrible student, just did mm-hmm. not like school at all. And took a few years off, Went I ended up going to a small college in uh, Massachusetts in the United States and got a degree in, uh, well, in English, because really I wanted to go into broadcasting. It was too small a school to have a broadcasting major. I think it was a communications minor or whatever they called it. So I was on the you know school radio station. And But what was interesting is a, a number of us seemed to have a knack for going back home in the summer and getting internships at TV stations, radio stations, things. And so we would bring back our knowledge that we learned and share with others. And at one mm. point I did an internship at the same school at the, in the same town as the college where I hosted a cable TV show that I was able to kind of finagle in a way. And that gave me wonderful experience. So mm. I, I had had both radio and TV experience, but, you know, as interns, of course, uh, by the time I got out. So I, I then got a job in uh, television, television news for an a- ABC network affiliate in uh, the United States. Very, very, very small one. The true is we would say minor leagues, <laughs> you know, so, it, right. but again, you, you know, you learn a lot, even though it, it certainly wasn't a lot of money and it was, and I really uh, found out I wasn't that good at it. I wasn't very good at it. And I, I, I like to say graduated into sales. And <laughs> at first I floundered because I had no real sales training or experience and the place where I was working didn't provide that. But I went into a bookstore and found some books on selling. You know, this is 40 years ago. So back then it wasn't as prevalent. I didn't even know there was such a thing as books on selling and personal development that was totally new to me. But I remember getting the books. One was by Zig Ziglar. One was by Tom (laughs) Hopkins, two of the legendary icons of the sales space. And I got their books and I started studying them and practicing and and applying the information. And within a few weeks, my sales were going great. And that was encouraging to me because it said, well, if you have a methodology for doing something, you know, you can learn it. Again, I never knew this. I didn't know that was a thing. And probably the, the best thing of all, though, Danny, about this, about finding this out about sales was understanding how important personal development itself was. 
So I started getting all the books like, you know, how to win friends and influence people and think and grow rich and psycho cybernetics and as a man thinketh and the magic of thinking big and the richest man in Babylon. And, you know, all these books that are the classics of personal development, because yeah. I, I realized at that point that success is an inside job. You know, you build yourself on the inside. Success manifests itself outwardly, of course, but you build it on the inside. I loved it. I mean, education now to me was a joy, which it never was in school. Yeah. I did this for, you know, a number of years and eventually worked my way to sales manager of another company and then started teaching people what was working for me. And it sort of eventually morphed into a speaking business. <laughs> where I could, you know, continue to speak on those things I loved to learn. I get to learn and teach at the same time. And I've been doing this now for, I guess, a little over 30 years. Wow. You touched on something so important about learning, about continuous learning, continuous development, continuous mm. growing. Mm. You mentioned Zig Ziglar. So I only came across recently, uh, came across Zig Ziglar through the old MBA with Seth Godin. And he refers to Zig Ziglar. And I would recommend anyone listening to this to just Google Zig Ziglar and oh. goals and just see the most amazing, amazing video. <laughs> if well, I and you can listen. It. Yeah. You can listen to Zig and watch Zig all day long. Yeah. And yeah. never, ever, ever get tired of it. And you learn something new every time you, you listen to him. He, and he was, a, he was really a wonderful human being. I want to talk a little bit about goals on the line of how do you lose 37 pounds and write a book? I'm just going to kind of give you that as an example. For 24 years of my adult life, by choice, I weighed well over 200 pounds. I say by choice because, you see, I have never accidentally eaten anything. <laughs> and that drive for learning, getting better, improving, and, and then isn't it, isn't it wonderful when you learn something and you just want to go and share that new knowledge, share that new experience with other people, mm -hmm. and, and you mentioned that learning and teaching, yeah. and that's just really, really fantastic. So when did you start writing? So a few years after I started speaking, I had built the business up. It was you know, still struggling. It took a few years to get it kind of going. And I remember being at a National Speakers Association event and some of the more veteran speakers, you know, we were talking and they were giving me great advice. And they said, you know, you really, you're at the point now where you really need to write a book. And I really didn't want to. I, it wasn't something I, I wanted to, you know, to take the time to do. And they said, well, it's a good idea because it's going to help you to really position yourself in the marketplace better. You're going to make yourself more marketable. It's going to be easier to sell your services. You're going to be able to receive higher fees. And it's going to, I like to think I'm a good student. So it, it made sense to me what they said. And so I wrote my first book, which was called Endless Referrals. The subtitle was Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales, which is what I was teaching and speaking about at the time, and which is what I used to help grow my own sales practice. Yeah. And it was written for entrepreneurs and salespeople who knew they had a great product or service. They knew it brought wonderful value to those they served, but they didn't necessarily feel comfortable or confident about going into their local communities and creating the kinds of relationships that would cause people to want to do business with them and or refer them to others. So that book was really about how to develop those relationships. It was based on a premise, which I've sort of been known for forever, it seems. And that is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. So the book was about how to build those kinds of relationships. So that was a long time ago. 
<laughs> and in my intro, I mentioned about the free enterprise system. So can you tell us a bit about that? Well, free enterprise is really another name for free market capitalism, which is unfortunately often misconstrued by people when they hear capitalism. They they tend to think of it as something that really, in the States at least, is more aligned with what we call cronyism. And I don't know if you all have this, but it's where special interests, big businesses kind of buy special favors from government officials. It's not supposed to happen, but it does all the time. There's a whole industry about it called the lobbying industry that we have. Okay. And unfortunately, most people think that's capitalism, but it's not. It's cronyism. Free market capitalism is simply where people are free to live their lives and pursue happiness, both in the business sense, as well as a personal sense in any way they see fit providing, of course, that they don't infringe upon the rights of anyone else to do the same. So in the business sense, it basically means no one's forced to do business with anyone else, right? Right. That the only way you could expect someone to want to do business with you is if you've earned their business and you've got to be able to perform. And when you serve people, you profit and they tell other people and you're, you're able to build a good business. So in other words, doing the right things get rewarded in a free market, a true free market environment doing the wrong things, uh, hurting people, taking advantage of people, doing it gets punished and you go out of yeah. business. That's yeah. a free market. Okay. That's the very essence of a free market. And unfortunately that's, it's so confused by people that it's, it's almost difficult, you know, to make that point in a way that's understandable. And you mentioned in your first book, Endless Referrals about you have a product, you know, it's a great product and you're passionate about it. And then you take the journey on from there, but it really right. does start with having something that is worth having that people want yeah. rather than oh. cheating them or tricking them. And you're making a great point. And that is, and I think this ties in Danny with the basic premise of selling the, the, by definition, selling is simply discovering what the other person needs, wants, or desires and helping them to get it. Selling is not trying to convince someone to buy something they don't want or need. That's called being a con artist, you know, or being a thief, right? And so, you know, so it's interesting. The old English root of the word sell was salan, which literally meant to give. So when you're selling, you're literally giving. Now, someone might say, well, wait a second, Berg. Okay, I get it. That's clever. But that isn't that just semantics? Well, I don't think so. And here's why. If you're in front of a person you're presenting to, your product or service, right, you are in the selling process. So if you're selling, what exactly are you giving them? I suggest you're giving them time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and more than anything, immense value. Hmm. So when we look at it that way, the people who who most honor uh, the free market system, they say to themselves, well, you know, if I am going to earn this sale, I better do some really good things for this other person. I need to be able to to explain and be able to find their needs and discover what they want. And this goes right back to when we're talking about really understanding another person's thought process, understanding that as an individual, they're the star of their show and they have their needs, their wants, their desires. They have their own way of seeking happiness. And if our product or service can help them in that regard, then there's a good chance we'll have the sale. If not, we won't, nor should we. What I really enjoy hearing when you speak is you're thinking about what the other person can get, what they can benefit, what they can feel and what they can experience, not 
let's talk about sales techniques and sales tactics and how to trick people and how to upsell them and how to get more money out of them. That's a key difference, isn't it? Your focus is on delivering a service, delivering a benefit and, and helping people realize that if they do that, then then it will return back to them in terms of a livelihood. Sure. Well, you know, a person I considered to be a great mentor, uh, his name was, was Harry Brown. He passed about 12, 13 years ago. He once said that in, a sa- in the sales process, there should always be two profits, the seller profits and the buyer profits, because each of them come away better off afterwards mm-hmm. than they were beforehand. So when you always keep that in mind, but place your focus on the other person, that's more likely to happen. Because remember, nobody's buying from you because you have a quota to meet. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're not, or because you need the money or because you want the sale, or even because you're a really nice person, they're going to buy from you because they believe they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. This is why John David Mann and I say that money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder, if you will, to values lightning, which means nothing more than that the value must be the focus. The value comes first. The money you receive is simply a natural result of the value you've provided another person. When you say you focus on the other person, I mean, you're always going to be your own focus anyway. So you don't, you don't need to worry about that. You'll be right. About That's true. Now, exactly. Right? So, so just don't worry about that. You'll yeah. be doing that. You need to just yeah. focus on, on that other person. Yeah. All right. We like to say, suspend your self-interest, you know, don't forgo it because that's contrary to human nature as human yeah. beings, we are self-interested, right? So you don't have to forgo your self-interest, but you do have to put it aside. Yeah. You have a small number of people who really do forego their own self-interest to the, the better of others, but that is that is extreme and, and that is admirable. But for the rest of society, yeah, just, just take that moment and, and think about other people on that yeah. journey. And then here's the here's the neat thing. When you do this, okay, when you you put your self-interest at the side, not and again, not in a way that's self-sacrificial or martyrish, that has nothing to do with it at all. No, mm. you're doing it because you understand that the other person is the star of their show. And that's what they're, they're the buyer. We're the supporting player in this uh, episode. And uh, so when you do that and you realize, first of all, that you increase your own success to the degree you focus on their success and you fall in love with the process Mm. because you love how it feels because you helped another human being and you know how happy they are with the, the benefits and the results of the product or the service. You know, we were talking about Zig Ziglar earlier and of all Zig's quotes, There's probably one of his that's more famous than any of the others. And it's my favorite quote of his. Uh, A lot of times it gets uh, kind of butchered. It gets uh, people mess it up and they say, but but the actual quote is this. You can have everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. Ooh, that's lovely. I've goosebumps on that one. (laughs) Really great. But can you say it in his accent? Oh, absolutely. Uh, You you see, Danny, it's true. Uh, You can have everything in life you want uh, if you just help enough other people and get what they uh, want. I, I actually got to do that on stage in front of Zig once in one of his last appearances. I, we had him come in to receive the Go-Giver Lifetime Achievement Award at one of our conferences that we used to put on. Uh, this is right before he passed. And he and Mrs. Ziegler and, and his uh, proud son, Tom Ziegler, they were all up on stage. And I got to do my imitation of, of Zig from one of his cassette tape albums from 40, 50 years ago. And I, I got to do it right in front of him. It was such a thrill. And they were such a lovely family. 
Incredible. I had no no idea you could do that. So <laughs> I'm so glad <laughs> I asked. <laughs> what would you encourage our listeners to do to help them think a little bit more about the other person? You know, I think like anything else, just like Pindar, the main mentor in the story taught Joe, it's just, it's practicing it. It's putting it into action, which is why, if you'll recall, he had Joe commit to applying all five of the laws the day that he learned each law. Mm -hmm. So the law he learned from Ernesto and then Nicole and then Sam and then Deborah. And, you know, he, he said, it doesn't have to be perfect, you know, but, but apply it. You know, find a way to provide value to someone else. Now, remember, you can do this by pouring someone else's coffee or tea, right? Mm. You can do that by holding the door open or saying something kind and smiling at someone, understanding, going back to Sonder, that who knows what they're going through in their life right now. And maybe your smile just changed everything for them because they hadn't been feeling acknowledged. They hadn't been feeling good about themselves. And the mm. fact that you, a stranger, a, a minor player in their story, in their life, would actually smile or hold the door open for them, okay? Or what kind of value you can you provide to a customer? What kind of information can you give them or a nice introduction to someone who might be able to help them? And then, you know, for each of the laws, we can find different ways to be able to do that, to increase the number of lives we touch, to find a way to increase and expand our network and act congruently with our authentic nature and be able to allow ourselves to receive, which is the fifth, fifth law to not push things away, but instead it, it doesn't have to be money. It could be when someone gives you a compliment instead of saying, oh no, no, that's just saying, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And in that receiving, we're actually giving to them. Yeah. Uh, and receiving compliments is, is hard. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's certainly easier to give them and certainly don't hold back from giving them, but totally agree. Thank you, Bob. Where can people find out more about you and the work that you do? Thank you. The best place is Berg, B-U-R-G. Dot com. We like to keep things simple. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Berg, thank you so much for being a guest on the Sunship Podcast. Uh, Danny, it's an honor. Thank you. Your Zig Ziglar impersonation was fantastic. <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not, but Zig, a few years before he passed, he um, he had had a bad accident where he had hit his head and he lost his basically his short-term memory for the last few years of his life. Oh, wow. And mm. his, his daughter, Julie, or his son, Tom, would kind of go on stage with him just to keep him on track because he would lose you know track of what he was saying he still did a wonderful job people would ask questions he'd answer but a lot of times he'd say something and repeat it right away and doing his, his kids tom and julie were just so sweet to him it would always be they would just say oh daddy I, I think you already said that and then he would you know but that was the first time his wife the redhead mrs yeah. ziggler was up on stage with him in his whole career so oh wow event. so i was i was just delighted <laughs> 